Hey folks, this week we've got Derek Hudson on the show. Um, he won the Angler of the Year title in the Toyota Series Central Division and is going to be fishing on the Tackle Warehouse Invitationals next year. Um, he had a really phenomenal season. Definitely seems primed for uh, more success going forward, I would say. Um, and he's a pretty interesting guy who's like kind of... He's, I don't want to say he's restarting his tournament career because his early tournament career didn't, it really didn't get off the ground that much, to be honest. Um, but he's one of those folks who is kind of committing to it a little bit later in life than a lot of guys who are straight out of college, um, which I think is kind of always interesting. Um, and the success he's had just this year alone kind of shows that it's, you know, probably a pretty viable path. Um, so anyway, we'll talk about this year with him. We'll hit some other stuff. Um, we're also kind of in the season where I'm going through our uh, rookie questions. So, you know, we'll get to find out what he likes for a boat snack and uh, what kind of Nazi ties and, you know, fun stuff like that. And uh, that's pretty much the show. Coming down the pipe next, I have an interview with Bill Taylor, which is actually like pretty in-depth and I-, I would say like really interesting. Um, after that, I'm not really sure what I have coming down the pipe next week is honestly, there's a lot of fish to be caught next week for me. So that may get in the way of uh, doing some podcasting. But um, that being the case, MajorLeagueFishing.com has all sorts of good stuff on it. And uh, thanks for listening. And here's Derek. And we are joined now by Toyota Series AOI out of the Central Division, Derek Hudson. And uh, Derek, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Joey, for having me. I appreciate it. Dude, you had a fantastic season. So the Central Division, it had like 300-some-odd boats in the first one. It averaged like well over 250 for the season. And you finished third at Gunnersville, 11th at Dale Hollow, and then... 18th at Chickamauga um you know I guess like day one at Chickamauga it was a little bit in question but you know you had some mechanical difficulties which we'll probably talk about a little but I mean man what a season I I appreciate that introduction um it was truly blessed I couldn't have I couldn't have scripted it any better Uh, even the the Chickamauga tournament I like I like you said I had those mechanical issues the first day um, my motor went out on me in the first two hours. I called Alan Gray and couldn't get a tow, and it was just all spiraling downhill real quick. And, I mean, God worked it out, and it was just it, – we'll touch on it some more. But, I mean, to turn around the next day and catch 20 pounds to bounce back in the cut, and like you said, I made three uh, cuts this year. I couldn't have scripted it any better. It was pretty phenomenal. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, the – had you, maybe we'll talk about this first, but had you ever fished tournaments with that number of boats in them before? I know you fished the Central Division in 21, and there were some really big fields then. Um, 
but I don't think we ever had a 300 vote field in one of those. I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I I had not fished the 300 plus um, in a Toyota series, obviously. But I had I have fished uh, team team tournament trails. I had um, they had a big um, championship tournament. Well, it was, it was kind of like a it wasn't really a championship. It was a tournament that they put on with big cash prizes at uh, a local body of water for us, Clater Lake. And it was over two. It was right at 300 boats in that event. Um, it was a team tournament, and that's a really small body of water. I don't know if you're up in the Clater Lake, but it's super, super small, and it did not hold 300 boats very well. Um, but in that event, they had 50000 for the first prize, is why it drew so much attention. And me and my uh, buddy, uh, Jacob Bumgardner, um, we finished third in that event. So I, 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 I understand that, you know, when, when it gets to a big tournament like that, you just got to gotta put that in the back of your head because it's not, it's not you against the other boats as much as it is you against the fish by the end of the day. And you kind of just, you've got to, you've got to just understand how the fishing pressure is going to affect those fish and then, then go after it. Um, did Tracy Adams win that Clater tournament? He did. Yeah. Okay, that's just the sure one I was did. thinking of. I fished yep. in that one. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So you are going to learn this about me now. I went to school at Virginia Tech, so I fished Clater a bunch. And uh, a buddy of mine, me and a buddy, drove out from Kentucky and practiced for like a day and a half on Clater and fished that tournament just because, like, we didn't get a chance to fish a lot of tournaments together it kind of lined up and we were like i mean 50 grand that's like that could be one yeah. fish at clater like i could get lucky and catch that so yeah. let's get in it baby <laughs> yeah second place was like 25 grand i mean it was they they paid five big places they they put out the money for that tournament i can't remember what the name of the tournament was to be honest yeah um, they never they never did it again though right i i think they did it one more year okay. they did do it one more year and um i, I think that was it but yeah, I, it, was, it, it was cool. A lot of money, a lot of money thrown on such a little pond. But um, we finished third in that event. We had uh, uh, a picker fish the first day. It was like five pounds. Uh, it truly it was a difference maker. Um, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, five pounder on goes a long way. That's a big one. That's awesome. yeah. Um, cool, cool. Yeah, I think that trying not to worry too much about and kind of fishing what you have in front of you is probably the way to go because you know you've if you go into every pocket thinking that you're behind someone and you don't stand a chance then you probably just don't stand a chance right (laughs) i've been a student of the fishing game for a long time and your mental game is as big a part of it as anything and i i i've just felt very comfortable in big tournaments um like like that one and like the ones this year because I know it's about my mental abilities and, and me against the fish and I just keep it at that. You know, I don't worry about who's behind me or how many people with fish in front of me um, because if you if you've kept up with the sport for any time, you've seen anglers pull up behind other anglers and catch a lot of fish because they were throwing something different, doing something different with their retrieve and you you just got to be your own angler and and keep your mind set that 
you're going to catch the fish this way, and that's, that's all you can do at the end of the day. All right, that's definitely true. Let's kind of go through these uh, Toyota Series events this year, at least the Central Division, a little bit one by one, because, you know, you went into the final event with a lead, but in the points, but it wasn't a huge lead. It was, I think, nine points or something like that, which in the scheme of things in a Toyota Series with that big of a field is not that much. Um, yeah. So, like, you know, every day counted this year for sure. Uh Yep. But you did awesome at Gunnersville at the first one. Yeah, Gunnersville, um, I, I have a special place in my heart for that that lake because I grew up, um, as you know, you, you said you're from this area of Virginia Tech. I'm sure you heard of Browery Creek Lake. I yep. caught my personal I caught my personal best when I was 13 there. That was 13 pounds, 10 ounces, and I was hooked on that place for the longest time, and we've I don't know how many fish over 10 pounds I've caught out of that place, but that it's known for its sand and timber. Everybody that sees it and sees pictures of it and goes to it for the first time, that's the first thing they notice is the sand and timber. But for years, it had a very healthy milfoil population. I mean, the growth of milfoil in that place was phenomenal for several years. And we would go from January to March, and just sack up 30 to 60 fish in a day pretty regularly throwing rattle traps, lipless crankbait, and um, fishing that meal pool. So Gunnersville was right up my alley. I mean, I, I felt at home in the grass. So I just put the lipless crankbait in my hand and, and found out where certain schools were and just, just worked on them. And that's that's how it all panned out. Had some phenomenal big catches uh, come out of it. That you know that that sets you apart at that lake. Um, I had the second day. I had one that was almost seven pounds. It was, I mean, truly just fun fishing with lipless crankbait. You, you really can't beat it. Okay, and yeah, you so you finished twenty ninth in twenty twenty one there. Um, which same deal. Same deal, lower weights, uh, basically. Uh, maybe not for the tournament yeah. overall, but for you, for sure. Um, yeah, that that was the that was the difference maker. That year um, was just uh, no kicker bites. I didn't. I caught a pile of fish each day in that event, but I never got a you know five plus pounder. And that's that's the difference maker in Gunnersville. It really is. And um, this year, the first day. I had about 19 pounds, I mean, of solid fish in the first hour on the first stop on a lipless crankbait. And I was going to my next, and I was like super pumped. You know, you you start off the first hour catching 19 pounds in any event. You're super excited. Maybe not like Champlain and St. Lawrence, <laughs> but, you know, most everywhere else in the nation, if you catch 19 pounds the first hour, you're a super pump for your day. And I was, I had left my grass mat going to another grass mat that I found them on. And as I was on the way there, um, this, this year I fished, giving it all to the Lord. I, I truly fished, uh, making sure that everything I do was in God's glory and, and his name. And, as I was going to my next grass mat, I heard it was just like, 
you know, Randy Howe was talking about hearing that voice going to a bridge. I heard that same voice go to a bridge. And I had practiced the bridges, and, and I didn't have a bike. Not a bike. And I actually told my co-angler that, well, that writes it off. I don't have to worry about that. You still hear me? Yep. Okay. I just hear background noise. Um, but I, I told my co-angler in practice, I said, I don't have to worry about the bridges. Well, when I heard that voice, I couldn't deny it. It was like, it was overwhelming, like go to a bridge. And I went there and I caught two sixes and a four off the bridge on the first day. And didn't catch any the second or third day off the bridge. But it was, it was exactly what I needed to, to put me in third after the first day, and I just rode it the rest of the, the tournament. You know, just kept getting solid weight the rest yeah. of the event. That's a, that's a huge key on that day one, too. I mean, that's that's a pretty critical uh, pretty critical move there. Um, yeah. Were you fishing in the eelgrass, or had you found not eelgrass? Because it seems like there's just acres and acres of that stuff at Gunnersville now. Yeah, it was a combination. Um, it wasn't just strictly eelgrass, but it had plenty of eelgrass in it. It was it was very mixtured up with a little bit of uh, uh, millful, a little bit of eelgrass, and a little bit of hydrilla. You could just tell it was it depends, and it was mainly dependent on the depth. It seemed like the hydrilla was closer to the bank, and the millful was a little further out. and And I caught fish at all depths. I, we were getting a little bit of a rain and a little bit of a, a rising water during that event, mm-hmm. and um, I think the combination of grass is what made my, my grass patches that I was finding better. Um, and they would just move up and down with their comfort, you know, the, the cloud conditions, with how much sun was beating on them, uh, all that. They would just move in those same areas and stay in that same grass mat, but they would just get shallower or they get deeper. And that's where a long cast with that lipless crankbait, um, I was throwing it on 17-pound tattoo, uh Seaguard tattoo that just come out with 17 pound test. Um, and the 17 pounds allows you to get a long cast, but also to allow those big fish. And I was able to cover all of that depth range from shallow to deep with those long casts. And that made a huge difference, I think, in the, the depth. Nice. Yeah, that's a. Uh, it's definitely, it's interesting to me, you know, I, I, I guess a vibrating jig is maybe, or not a vibrating jig, sorry. A, a lipless crankbait is maybe one of the most chunk and wind kind of baits you can have theoretically, but in practice, almost every tournament, like when a guy does well on one, they have some intricacy that they figure out during the tournament, whether it's a particular length of cast or a particular rhythm or something that really turns out to be like pretty important. Um, yeah. Which, which is cool. Like, it's good that there's room for that kind of difference and in innovation in fishing, even after all these years, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, that, I think, that's, yeah, like you're saying, that's that's with all bait. I mean, um, I, I grew up, um, some of my local stomping ground idols, like, um, I don't know if you know, Jimmy Henderson is, is a big jig fisherman in this area. And um, people like him, develop stuff like stroking a jig under dock instead of just catching underneath there and working it out slowly and i mean there's so many different 
things that you can change about every individual lure. And I think a lipless crankbait is just another one of those tools that you can, you can, you cast it out and just steady retrieve it back and get plenty of fish on it. And then you can, I actually, for that event, I was doing a lot of slowing the cadence down to where I was just ticking the edge of the grass and trying to keep that sweet spot of where I was reeling fast enough to keep it above the grass where it wouldn't bog, but slow enough to where it touched the grass every once in a while. So I knew I was in that sweet spot. Nice, nice. Um, Next one, Dale Hollow, you finished 11th, so made another cut. Um, and for that one, you really did super consistent the whole time. And you said that you were like basically just dead ahead, forward facing sonar, hundred percent of the time, right? So yeah, the the first day of practice at Dale Hollow, I, I put in at the boat ramp and was actually just going away from the boat ramp on the trolling motor, and I saw a fish on my forward facing sonar, and I cast to it. I had a um, quarter ounce jig head with a 3.5 inch missile bait uh shock wave and i just had it tied on um uh, on spinning gear you know uh eight pound test uh leader to 15 pound test uh smackdown uh braid and i just had you know just a, just a sta- that's a staple for you know clear water lakes like dale hollow uh, especially when you have small mouth spotted bass large mouth, all the mixture so I just had it tied on, and I saw the fish on the forward face sonar, and I threw to it, and I caught a uh, five-pound smallmouth, which on that body of water, that's not a keeper because of the weird slot limit they have. So I didn't get super excited about it when that happened, but I was like, that fish is out here for a reason. And it was over, you know, 40 foot of water, middle of nowhere, and it was only about 15 foot down. So I went a little bit further on the trolling motor and saw another fish cast to it and caught a um two and a half pound spotted bass and i was like well that is a keeper i mean that's one of one of the best spotted bass i've seen in a long time i was i was pretty excited about it and i went a little bit further and caught a four pound largemouth and that's when it really the light bulb kind of went off that this was a potential pattern but it wasn't super heavy it wasn't like you were catching you know i didn't catch all those fish in 10 minutes i caught them in about an hour of on the trolling motor looking and but I was like, that's a possibility here. Well, I spent the rest of practice going to the banks, trying to find, you know, a traditional jerkbait pattern or Alabama rig up on the banks, or, you know, just, just traditional, you know, flipping the banks, you know, jig on laydowns, you know, just the standard bank running stuff. And I, every time I would go to the bank for a while, I wouldn't get much going on and I'd come back out to points and to bluffs and to, you know, middle of the channel, just offshore stuff, and I'd start catching fish again. And I caught enough largemouth and spotted bass mixture in practice for me to say, I might be able to do this an entire tournament day and come out with some good sacks. And sure enough, lo and behold, the tournament comes around and, the, the like, the first – 30 minutes of the event, I caught a really good, like, three-and-a-half-pound largemouth, and I was like, yep, this is the deal. And I, I stuck with it, kept a small swim bait. I ended up alternating between a little rage swimmer, a 3.25-inch rage swimmer, and a 3.5-inch shock wave. And it was, it was really cool to see 
throughout the event, at like when I started off in the morning, the rage swimmer, I guess because it thumps a little harder than that shockwave does, the rage swimmer would get more bite for me in the morning. And then as the day went on and, it, you know, the sun got up higher and it got a little calmer, the shockwave was out producing the um, – rage swimmer and I, I thought that was pretty cool that you were able i was able to see the fish react differently i was able with the forward face sonar i'm throwing the i'm using the lorance active target i was able to see those fish either explode on the bait and like come at it full force or i was able to see them come up and just like look at it like no that's not quite doing what i want it to do and they turn away i was able to get all those um be able to see the fish reacting in those ways and I would have never been able to do that without forward facing sonar. It was pretty. It was pretty cool event. Yeah. No. It really. It was obviously like it was one of the most dominate. It's one of the tournaments that was dominated by forward facing sonar, like maybe more than any other one that we've had. Which was. Yeah. You know, one of the things that folks who don't like it are terrified of, and also very cool if you do like it. Um, yeah. Had you ever fished like that around home where you? Because it strikes me that I would think Clater and Smith Mountain could probably be pretty good lakes to just live scope around in, um, especially I, I at certain times of year. Yeah, you're exactly right. Clater and Smith Mountain both set themselves up, just like you're saying, for that kind of pattern. Um, I mean, Clater, obviously, is like a, it's like a miniature version of Dale Hollow. It's very much river system-ish with, you know, pockets and main creek coming off of it, but it's mainly a, a, river, a river channel. Um, so it's very similar to Dale Hollow in that regard. Um, so yeah, I, I, I have taken it to those bodies of water since then and have used it a lot more, but honestly, I had not used it to that extent. And I think one of the main contributing factors to me using it to that extent at Dale Hollow was the fact that there was no bank bite for me to find. Like, I did not find a bank bite that was as consistent with size and numbers as the offshore bite was. And, I mean, I really had, you know, no other uh, pattern to lean on. So, I, you know, I stuck to my guns, and it, it all worked out. And it was pretty cool to see that at the end of the, the last day weigh-in, when I weighed in, the last day i was sitting in first i took the lead and was sitting in first and i got bumped all the way down to 11th by the 10 guys that were behind me and every single one was saying forward facing sonar forward facing sonar forward facing sonar and i was like wow i mean i, I can't have asked for god to put it any more in my hands than it did that that event it was pretty cool yeah and like it's impressive too that you can go out and knock down a you know a day three cut finish 11th doing something you haven't done before you know that's a i feel like that's kind of the trademark of like a lot of the really top end pros is that they may they can go into an unfamiliar situation and like three days later come out just about an expert in the new technique um and like that's a that's a key thing because you're not you you can't know everything when you set out on this. Yeah, that's true. Especially, uh, I, I I appreciate that. I appreciate you basically giving me a nod to, 
having some um, pro-level uh, skills in my, my repertoire. But um, it, I think it all just boils down to, you know, I've been fishing for a long time. I've, I've been fishing uh, at a higher tournament level. Um, I qualified for Mr. Bass my very first year as a club angler. At 16 years old, I qualified for the Mr. Bass Championship I, I, in, in Virginia. That's a pretty big deal back in those days. And I went to that championship, and I finished with a top 10. And I've been fishing for a long time. I've been a student of the game for a long time. If, if anybody's listening to this and they're wondering what it takes, truly just loving the sport, being a student of the sport, getting, you know, those – FLW magazine, MLF magazines, and and I've got Bassmaster magazines coming in every month, and getting on the websites on a regular basis and studying what what happened at this tournament, even if it's stuff in California and you feel like it's never gonna never pertain to you, you will pick up so much stuff from just reading and and being a student of the game and learning all that. And I think that is what helped me be able to go to places that I've never been types of water that I've, you know, I've, I've never experienced those situations on that type of water or that, or that, that type of situation, period. And to roll with them and to let it evolve as the tournament goes on, because I'm very comfortable with my electronics. I'm very comfortable with my tackle. I'm very comfortable with so many techniques because I've read so much about all of them that when it comes down to a situation that's like that, that's unique, I feel comfortable just because I put that much study into the game. Yeah. Hey, this is a side note. What jig head were you using in that tournament? Because one of the things we noticed in that top 10 base gallery was a ton of guys were using that round VMC one. And also there were a ton of eyes on jig heads in that tournament. What were you throwing? I was, I actually uh, had run out of jig hits because, and I was fishing eight eight pound test, so I was fishing a light leader, and I wanted a hook that was sticky sharp, and but a wire that wasn't super heavy because you didn't want you're making long casts these fish on the forward face turn. I've seen some of these fish uh, eighty to hundred feet out and making a super long cast and trying not to get on, you know, get on with the boat too much. So it keeps them less spooky. And I was using, I, I went to a local tackle store and found some owner. Um, I don't even know, like, if they, I know owner does a lot of their stuff by like numbers, you know, like their jiggy will have a number oh, yeah. specified to it. And I don't even know which one it was, but I, I found some owner round head and some owner um, bullet head. Um, which had a strong enough hook to land big fish, but it was thin enough to get good penetration at long distance. And that's that's what I used. Uh, no eyes on it, just standard lid, because all the swim baits I was throwing were natural colors, like the the shockwave with fish delicious, which is a real, you know, a real ghosty, clearish gray color. Um, so the lid head just, just paired perfect with that. And yep, I didn't have any eyes on mine, so. I don't know if that really made much of a difference. It didn't seem to make it to my fish. Might have cost you the top ten because, man, everyone else was throwing eyes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Exactly. But you know, that's interesting to hear because I have never I've never looked at a top ten baits gallery before and been like, 
okay, I see what's happening here. This is a thing. Uh, yep. And then I looked at that one. I'm like, oh, okay, this is the eyes are a thing. And then you made you finished eleventh and caught good bags without eyes. Now I'm like, well, okay, maybe they're not a thing. I got to start rethinking something. <laughs> That's I interesting. Honestly, I I think I think the big difference, the the, the biggest takeaway, because it was all a learning experience for me too. The biggest takeaway for me from that event was location, location, location. It was it. Is that if you weren't around the bait fish and you weren't around, I mean, it sounds obvious, but it really isn't. If you weren't seeing fish that were potential size you needed, it, whether you're getting them to bite, you know, every fish that I saw on Ford Face and so on and through a swim bait too did not bite. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of them, a lot of them were either boat shy or, um, they had something else on their mind or whatever. I, I don't know. Some of them were really committed to destroying that swim bait and some of them were not. And if you weren't around the fish though, you know, and that was location based, you weren't going to have a good event period. And then also luck of the draw at, at, at the end of the day, because that Dale hollow has a lot of fish that were big fish, but they were smallmouth, And I caught, several smallmouth that didn't help me you know that i couldn't weigh them 19 19 and a half 20 inch fish that i know were over five pounds i mean just butter balls and they, they just they wouldn't help me at the end of the day because they had to be over 21 inches and i never found one the entire practice and the entire tournament i never found one over 21 inches and i caught some giant smallmouth yeah and there were a few guys who weighed in smallmouth in that tournament i think uh ratliff had a smallmouth one of the days um, yeah yeah, it was, that. It, was, it was definitely around there. To, to, it could happen, um, for sure. Yeah, it could happen, but yeah. But they were few and far between because I called, I called a ton of smallmouth. No doubt. Um, tell me about uh, tell me about Chickamauga because that was the one where it seemed like kind of the most drama happened. Um, and you had a great tournament. And even if you had finished, you know, 30th or 50th we're probably still talking about you know qualifying for the uh invitationals you know with relative ease or sort of it would look like it but that's the one where you lock down aoi so going into that event i mean obviously I, like you said i had the lead on the aoi so i, I went down gave myself plenty of time to practice because the chick is a big body of water and it's not only a big body of water, but it's such a it's such a diverse body of water to where at that time of year in May, you can catch them twenty foot deep on ledges, and you can catch them in two inches of water spawning. I mean, it's just so much you can do that I gave myself ample practice time because I wanted to check all the boxes off and try a little bit of this and try a little bit of that, and. I found two different bites going on. I had found a shad spawn, which was not super heavy yet. You know, it normally it's, it it takes a little bit warmer conditions for it to really peak up. You know, I think June is probably I feel like one of the strongest for numbers um, shad spawn bites. In the, in the central, you know, central U.S. And 
I found the shad spawn bite, but it was very small window and it was, you know, catching a few fish in the morning. And I wanted something, you know, I needed something to go with that. And a lot of the fish were, like I said, transition. You know, there was, there was fish garden fry. There were fish offshore. There were fish uh, on bed still. So I decided to stick in that mid range to stick where a fish could viably be where my lure is on a bed. He could viably be guarding a uh, pot of fry, or he could feel comfortable enough, like he's got enough water over his back to be offshore. You know, I wanted that mid-range. I wanted to be in that mid-range place. That way I covered all those bases. So I stuck my practice between 5 to 15 foot of water where I stayed. And that obviously it, it, it panned out because um, the second day, my 20 pounds I had the second day, I caught the exact same way. I caught the fish, the, the 10 pounds I had the first day and the last day. I caught them exact same way. It's just I got, I landed the bigger fish. I lost big fish the first day and the last day. That really would have made a big difference in my bag. But the the, the middle day, the 20 pounds, I executed flawlessly, and, and it, it was just meant to be that day. And, I mean, I can't. I can't ask for any better way that it turned out. Yeah, no, it definitely, it, it's like, it wasn't a perfect tournament, right? But it all worked out really well. Uh, it could have, you had opportunities, it seemed like, every day where it could have gone sideways. Um, and it yeah. kind of did, but you kind of scrapped your way back from every one of them. Tell me, tell me about that day one, because... We were talking, and we'll get into this later when we talk a little bit more about like how you, your path to where you are now. But you were broken down like pretty much right out of the gate on day one, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I actually went to my shad spawn bite, which was on a marina, um, and I, I caught two fish right off the bat. And I had left there and went, it was going down the lake about right where um about right where the the s curves are at um what is the name of those islands like where the hiawassee is yeah 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 no 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 no, no. We, we put in a chester frost so just below chester oh, frost about... okay okay yeah yeah i always think of chickamauga i always have it in my head as being like from dayton for some reason <laughs> yeah I, I understand yeah we went out of chester frost this time and I was about three miles down from Chester Frost, and I was going down the lake, and that's when my motor uh, crapped out on me. Okay. And okay. All, all, all that happened was um, I had my wiring harness inside my motor had just worked its way loose and actually smoldered and caught on fire and burned the wires up. So it wasn't a huge issue, but it was something I couldn't fix on the water. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like it threw, threw a rod or anything. Like, it wasn't super, super big deal. But it was something that I couldn't fix on the yes. water. So I got on the trolling motor, and that's when I called Alan and was like, hey, you know, I've got two fish. I'm leading the AOI. I really need your help, buddy. If you got somebody that can – if you got a camera boat that's in my area, can give me a tow, uh, what are my options? And he's like, nope, I can't get in touch with the camera guys. I don't know where they're at. Uh, you can get a tow from one of your fellow competitors, but that's about the only option I have for you. And as soon as I got off that phone call, I looked at my co-angler and I said, 
I said, I'm too prideful for that. I said, I'm too prideful to kill somebody else's chances at this event of getting a win, of changing their lives, you know, whatever their fortune may be. I said, I'm too prideful to get somebody else to give me a toe this early in the event and kill their whole event to help me out. I said, so I guess we're in a position where, you know, it's going to go on the trolling motor, try to make it back to Chester Cross, and hopefully we can figure this all out. And I'm headed back, and my co-angler says, hey, I've got Towboat USA. What do you think about giving them a call? I was like, dude, call them up. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. I didn't even think of that. Thank you for thinking of that, and I'm glad you're here. And uh, he calls them up while he's on the phone talking to them, and they're talk, telling us, oh, we can be there in two and a half, three hours. And I'm like, well, the event's going to be pretty much over by that time. And um, and we, we actually could have made it to Chester Frost by that time on the trolling motor. I had that that uh, Lawrence ghost on max speed, and I had plenty of juice left in it. So it, it could have made it there in that amount of time. But it was like a, it was like a, the same voice that hit me at, uh, Gunnersville that said go to that bridge and I caught two sixes and a four off of that same voice hit me and I looked up and there was a pocket that I was passing that I had went in and shook a few fish off in practice and I said hey tell ask them if they can give us a tow by appointment if I set a time can they come get us and they said yeah we can do that I said okay our way ends at 345 and we're like you know, we're a mile and a half down from Chester Frost, maybe two miles down from Chester Frost. Yeah, not far. I said, not far. I said, let have them meet us at 3 o'clock. We're going to go over in this pocket. We're going to try to finish out. We're trying to salvage these points, basically, for the ALI. And we're going to go in here and see if we can do something and have them meet us at 3 o'clock. They said, yeah, we can do that. Go in the pocket, and it's just like – I mean, it was rolling on all cylinders. I, I catch my limit really quickly. I cold like twice. I even jump off one that was like four and a half pounds. And my co-angler said, he said, oh, that must mean the, the Lord must be saying that's one you're going to catch tomorrow. And I did. I did catch that fish tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. Yes, I caught that fish the next day. In the, in the 20-pound sack I had, I ended up weighing that fish. But... Three o'clock rolls around. I salvaged the day. I caught the ten, whatever it was, ten fourteen or whatever it was, the first day, and salvaged the day. Three o'clock rolls around, no towboat. Three ten rolls around, no towboat. Three twenty rolls around, no towboat. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just like shaking my head, like Lord, I do not know why you let me come back like this and. and Master plan work out this way after the the pit of despair I fell into after the the boat broke down. I said, but Lord, if it's your will, it's your way, it's gonna happen, but I do not understand why the towboat's not here and why this is working out this way. Well, the reason why it worked out that way was because I was getting ready to meet Brian Partak. Uh, he rolled around as soon as i got done saying that he rolled around one corner and the towboat rolled around the other corner and by this time it's 3 30 
and it's not enough time for the towboat to get me back to check in at 3:45. Yeah, because they're but not going to tow you at 60. <laughs> exactly. But Brian Partak, having his boat, uh, he can run me over there in that amount of time. So he didn't have a co-angler. And because he had a wrapped boat was the reason why I noticed him as being in the tournament. I'm like, he's got to be in this tournament, but he doesn't have a co-angler. So I wave him down, and he comes over, and I said, dude, have you weighed your fish in already? He said, yeah. I said, can you give me a lift with my fish over there and my co-angler's fish over there? I will put them in two separate bags and, and give us a lift over there to the check-in. He said, yeah. And as, as I'm bagging the fish up, I said, dude, I appreciate you so much. I said, I'm leading the AOI. He said, Derek, I know who you are. You had a phenomenal season. Get in this boat. Let's go. And I jump in there. He zooms me over there. We get there with two minutes to spare on check-in. And salvage the first day. Instantly started a great friendship with Brian Partak. He ended up uh, rooming with me at Potomac. Um, Toyota series, super great guy. If you're not following him, Brian Partak, stand up guy. He's just like me. He's he's ate up with fishing. He's he's aspiring to be a professional angler, and he's trying his hardest to get there. And he's had some. Uh, he he actually, I don't know if you know this, Jody. He fished the last three years as a co angler before the tour stopped having co anglers. So he got to room with. You know, and, and draw people like Brian Thrift and Mark Rose, and that's that's his. He went three years of fishing with all those guys, so I mean, he's got a, a ton of stories and just top notch guy. But anyway, so I salvaged the first day, and then you know the, the work's not done. Even though I salvaged the first day, I don't have a boat still, and I got to compete another day. Well, I get in the car. My co-angler, Jason Hingers, who's, who rooms with me and travels with me, you know, all over chasing this dream, he he says, hey, I got a boat for you. I'm like, what? What are you talking about you got a boat for me? He says, well, we had a buddy um, who was staying with us. Keel is a great buddy of Jason Hingers, was just rooming with us, hanging out that week. And he knew a local Tyler Goss, who had a brand new rain, I mean a brand new Nitro Z20 with Lawrence Active Target with power poles, everything I needed, Mercury, everything I needed to compete at a top notch level. And I was like, he's gonna let me use his boat? He said, Yeah, he would he would love he'd be happy for you to use his boat. And sure enough, Tyler was a great guy. Let me use his boat. I stacked up twenty pounds the second day to come back and and seal the deal on AOI and make it the third cut in a row. And I couldn't have done it without all of those different elements. Brian Partak coming to my rescue. Tyler Goss coming to my rescue. God letting the, the plan work out better than I ever could have imagined. It was, it was, it was unbelievable how it all worked out. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you had a great year and you had like some, you had some good fortune, you had some bad fortune, you had some stuff happen at the right times. I mean, it was it was really like a complete AOI season when you think about it, because you fished great, and then also some wild stuff happened. And that's kind yeah. of a hallmark of a lot of AOIs, where 
you know, it doesn't always all go to plan, but it works out somehow. Yeah, I mean, I've been hearing it for years. When it's your time, it's your time. And, I mean, this year, wow. I, it definitely was my time, and it worked out the way it did, and I, I couldn't have scripted it any better, that's for sure. You've So you fished the Toyota Series in 2021, um, and you had fished that level previously, way back in the day. Uh, back in, like, what, 2008, 2010, that's that's sort of ballpark, but what uh this year you had like quit your job and you were all in. So tell me about that gap. Like bring me up to speed on how you fished a little bit way back in the day, and then all of a sudden we're like you know hurtling toward a pro career. Yeah. Well, so back in the day when I was trying to do the exact same thing, trying to have success in the Toyota series. Cause that's, that's really the Toyota series is the best stepping stone. I can say for testing your worth to see if you're ready for the next level. I mean, you're, you're fishing against locals, but you're also fishing against a lot of pros that step down to fish the Toyota series because they have big, big payouts. Uh, they have big fields. And I mean, it's just, it's, it is it is another level it is it is a good level it's like in between the two and back in the day when i jumped in the toyota series back back then i think they were called the strand series or the everstarts or whatever they were back then um the very first i had decided i was gonna fish a whole season and the very first one i fished was a smith mountain lake i finished uh third or fourth fourth in that event and I was like, well, obviously I have what it takes to compete. Well, the next event I had boat issues. The next event I had boat issues. And it totally, I mean, it was a blown power hit that came out of my pocket to fix. And it was like, it just killed my season and killed, you know, financially. It was harder to bounce back from it because that was a lot of money out of my pocket. So I hung it up for a little while. I, I gave up fishing for a while, and we focused on the the family side of things. Having uh, had our daughter, um, and she's now eight years old. She's turned eight years old this year. Um, during that time, uh, we bought a new house. We we focused on the family side of things, and I obviously that was you know it was bittersweet to hang up fishing. It really was, but. God had a bigger purpose in mind, and my daughter wouldn't be here if that purpose hadn't rolled the way it was, to be honest, because at, at one time, fishing career was so important to me that we had we had talked about holding off on starting a family and going down that road, and, and the fishing career getting stopped, it gave us the ability to have that, and truly blessed that it worked out that way, and I, I feel that right now i'm mentally and uh, structurally around my house with my, my family supporting me and and obviously uh, i'm i'm chasing this dream to set an example for not only the youth that follow me on my social media but also my daughter who's you know a, a big reason for me 
chasing this dream. And at the time and right now couldn't be any better. And it all worked out the way it worked out for a reason. And I'm truly blessed by it. How old is your daughter? Does she like to, does she fish too? Yeah, she's, she's eight and she's, she's a cheerleader and, um, she's, uh, in choir and, and at our church and, and she's, She's definitely got her own agenda, but when it comes to fishing, like last year we had a crappy tournament. We uh, went to Bugs Island, and we fished off of bridge pylons uh, catching crappy, and she whooped our butt, and she, she made a point of it that she, she whooped our butt. She, she caught like <laughs> 25, 25 crappy before either me or my wife had even caught 10. So she, she's got a little bit of the bug for fishing. She, she loves it, but she's, She's not quite as ate up as her dad is because she's got her own thing going on. But, yeah, it's so cool to see kids, you know, enjoy the outdoors just as much as we do. That That is cool, for sure. Um, when you kind of took the step, because you, you were a firefighter before, uh, right? And which is, I assume, like, I mean, it's a full-time job. Like, you can retire and, you know, make a career out of fighting fires. At yep. the same, whereas bass fishing is, I would say, a much riskier proposition. What was your sort of vibe when you stepped out of that? So, the fire department has, was a love of my life for 16 years. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed helping people. I enjoyed, um, I, I, I prided myself on being good at my job um actually we had a uh, uh hose drill competition right before i even before i left my job and we were one of the best teams out there uh, my i had a stand-up group um i was i had worked my way up to master firefighter which is just below a captain and uh, i i love i love my job i don't you know I, I i would hate for somebody to thank me quitting my job say anything bad about the fire department but to be honest it's not the job it was when i went to it 16 years ago i mean with all the risk of covid and and um a lot of a lot of political and you know just it just has not developed into quite the job i came there for 16 years ago so when I I actually reached out and talked to um, the you know the people about the Virginia retirement system about my retirement and they were like oh yeah you can start drawing retirement when you uh, you got 15 more years to go and I'm like so you're telling me I've only been halfway through <laughs> and that's when it kind of dawned on me that like wow uh is this really what I want to do the rest of my life? And I've, I've, I've loved the job as a firefighter, but I've had a longer, deeper love for professional fishing. And I remember growing up, um, when I was, when I was like a toddler, I remember vividly getting in a pillowcase, sitting on a, you know, like the pillow stuffed in the pillowcase. I would get in between the pillowcase and the actual cushioned pillow 
and I would push myself around the hardwood floor and pretend I was catching my stepsister's baby dolls. That's how ate up I was with fishing when I was a little kid. It's always been in my heart to be a professional fisherman. My dad had Bassmaster magazines all over the place when I was younger, and I always gravitated to those magazines. And to fast forward, you know, when I got that that realization that I was only halfway through my fire department career, I was like, hmm, you know, it's it's been a lot of things lately pointing me in a direction that now is the time. Like sponsors, you know, stepping up and showing me that they, you know, they appreciate the work I've done on social media and they are supporting me and my fishing um, to family, you know, our family finances, getting in a position where I could actually pursue this dream because, I mean, that's, that's a, you got to have support from your family. Um, and I have, I have the best family support. To have all these things just keep coming to, this is, this is your time. This is your time to leave and to go to pursue this full time. Put every ounce of energy, heart and soul, into this chasing the dream of becoming a professional fisherman and to leave in november fast forward to february my first event toyota series and finish third out of largest field ever in a toyota series 328 boats to finish third in that was like that was the green light that yes lord provided and you made the right decision and since then it's just been it's been a remarkable ride. I, I've, I've enjoyed every bit of it. That's cool. It definitely seems like it seems like you made a call that I'm not going to say it's guaranteed to work out because like pro fishing is not a guarantee, and you know that. But it seems like oh, yeah. you didn't make uh, you didn't make a bad call. You know, like yeah. the very worst case, you're going to chase something that a lot of people always wanted to chase. Uh, for a few years and best case it turns into a really good career and like you're catching fish fast enough that it probably could (laughs) so that's cool yeah i think uh one thing well one moment pivotal moment for me that i truly felt like helped kind of catapult the decision also was so the, they had the Toyota Series Championship last year. Obviously, I, I finished good enough to qualify for that, and I went to Pickwick, put in the practice, and after the first day of the Toyota Series Championship last year, I was sitting in 15th. So I had a great start. And the second day, I went and I caught uh, four fish, would have been easily, and they were four good ones, I would have been easily in the top 20 possibly could have made the top 10 cut and gone to the third day. And I was 10 miles away from the boat ramp coming back. And my boat had another issue. Lower unit went out. And we were very blessed that in that horrible circumstance, we had one boat pass us. And it happened to be a set of tournament anglers that had thrown their fish back and were just headed back the way in. They didn't have any fish to deal with. They were able to give us a tow to the nearest boat ramp, which was about 
30 minutes up, you know, up on a, you know, an idle tow speed. It was about 30 minutes up. They took me to that boat ramp, and then they took my co-angler to get the truck out. And we actually got off the water, thank the Lord, before it got dark. So, I mean, it could have been a lot worse. You know, we were in the middle of nowhere. It could have been a lot worse. And it was we were one of the last flights. So, I didn't see it. While I was sitting at the boat ramp waiting for him to come with the truck and trailer, I never saw another boat. And we had horrible sail service. Where yeah, we there's were. some so, there's some spots on Pickwick that are in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so it could have been really it could have been a really long night in the dark, but it worked out. So that evening, you know, I could have been super bummed. I mean, here it is, championship. I, I possibly could have made the cut. I definitely, I know, I lost several thousand dollars on a check, guaranteed. Um, but. I could have been super bummed, but I didn't let it get to me. I didn't let it drag me down. And I think that really spoke to the season of tournament fishing that I'm in right now where, you know, I've I've been doing it for so long that I kept my composure and I, I I kept my head held high, even despite the adversity. I kept my head held high through it. And I went to the local restaurant called The Outpost, which is a Christian restaurant, plays Christian music, uh, like a log cabin, really home, homish feel. Um, and while I was there, I kept a smile on my face and was just as happy to just be in the moment. Uh, 17-year-old angler, a 17-year-old who's ate up with fishing, Cooper, super great kid, noticed my tackle warehouse hat. I had nothing else on that was that had fishing wrote on it except for tackle warehouse hat. He noticed it. He gravitated to me, and he bent my ear for the next hour and a half about all things fishing, and was just ate up with fishing. And it was so nice to talk to him. And it was just, it just reiterated the fact that that is why I got into this sport because I love it. I love all things fishing, and his love for the sport was just was just bringing that out of me. Why I got into the sport, and if I would have went to that restaurant bummed from what had happened, I would have never gave him the time of day. I would have never answered any of his questions. I would have been just sulking. You know, it, we've all been there. When you have a bad day and you just sulk, people don't want to be around you when you're like that. And I didn't let that happen. And that was the light bulb that I have a lot of love for this sport. And not only that, professionally, I am ready to pursue this sport full time because my mind and my heart are in the right place. And that's that's where, you know, within within that month, I, I quit my job as fire department. And within three months after that, and I, you know, the rest is history. Cool. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to, I guess, one, I feel like the Toyota Series Championship could set up pretty good for you, and that can pay pretty good. Uh, and then also just your rookie year on the Invitationals, because I, uh, I want to see it. Um, the uh, the more time I spend around you, the more I'm like, I, I got to watch this guy fish, because I don't think I ever have. I've, I haven't covered a Central that you've been at, I don't think, or... And uh, the Northerns, our paths haven't crossed enough. So I'm, I'm invested well, I, now. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, before we call a day, I've got some, like, 
basically quick hitter questions that I want to run through here. And none of these are hard, but sometimes there's something interesting and you can answer with uh, one word or one sentence or 10 minutes if it really hits you. Um, okay. But uh, number one, what's your favorite lake? Oh, favorite lake, definitely Smith Mountain, even though I have, I have a love-hate relationship with that place because I, I've been burned several times on Smith Mountain by getting too confident on my history. Like, oh, I, I know it's, it's March. Now, the tournament's in March. I don't need to practice as much. And it has definitely taught me you've got to put your time in on the water, even if it's a local body of water, because fish are constantly changing, and every year's different. And Smith Mountain's definitely favorite place to fish because it has taught me some of the best lessons in my fishing career for sure it's also one of the prettiest places to fish in the country oh Um, gorgeous gorgeous what's uh what's your biggest smallmouth Ooh. well my biggest smallmouth i caught one with my dad a long time ago and i swear it was over six pounds whoa um and it was on Smith Mountain, but it was it was so crazy. It was like it was one of those fish that was not meant to be weighed and not meant to really be seen very good. Because I caught the fish, caught it on a spinnerbait, burning a spinnerbait in the fall time. We we boated it and we net, he netted it and boated it and it's like oh my gosh, the thing's over six pounds. It's a monster. And about that time, he unhooks it from the spinnerbait. And it's holding it in his hand. He looks back, and his rod that he had set down is going off the deck of the boat. And he dives to get it, falls in the lake, loses my smallmouth, <laughs> loses my smallmouth in the oh lake at the same time, and ends up saved his rod. And it was a striper on the end of that rod that was about ten inches long, and it was just. It was just one of those fish that was obviously meant to be a fish story and not really any, you know, true verification. But um, that fish was a giant. Uh, I I would have loved to put a scale on that thing. Well, we'll say it's six pounds, and uh, we need you to catch a seven. Yes, that's right. You can't be like, man, I caught a six and a half, but I finally did it, because you don't know what you're at (laughs) Um, for your next PB. Uh, How about... Yeah. Largemouth spotted bass. What are you sitting at? Uh, spotted bass. Uh, I've caught some at Lake Norman that were over four pounds. I think I had I had one in a uh, BFL that was like four eighteen or something like that. Um, four point one eight on my on my scales. Um, so I've caught some really big spotted bass. I'm not sure exactly what my personal best is. I and during that string of uh that practice and that tournament for that bfl i caught several before um three and a half to four so lake norman's got some big ones yeah um but large mouth the 1310 from when i was 13 years old that's still my biggest to this day wow that's cool that's cool that it's held on that long and i mean a 13 pounder like that's there's a good there's a decent chance that'll hold on for the rest of your life i mean unless you like really yeah. pursue it Exactly. Yeah, it was. Um, um, it was very awesome at that time because thirteen ten. I didn't even know it. My dad found this out later because uh, Bassmaster posted an article 
talking about new 16 and under world record caught by some kid in Florida with 17 pounds, and it broke the previous record of 12 pounds. And I was like, I didn't even know my 1310 could have been a possible world record. So I was only 13 when I caught it. Um, I didn't even know there was an age uh, age distinction. Like, they had that as an actual record. And so that was pretty cool to think that I might have had a world record at one time. So, But, yeah, I've caught several I've caught several 10-plus pounders since then, but never brought, brought one that big. Nice. That's pretty cool. Uh, what's your favorite technique? My favorite technique by far is a buzz bait. Ooh. I just love a buzz bait. Who doesn't love, even if it's just a four-pounder, destroying a buzz bait? Who doesn't love that bite? I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal. It truly is. It, it's got a special place in my heart. I basically never catch fish on buzz baits, so I'll leave that up. I'll leave that for you. I, I just cast buzz baits. I'm like, oh, that's a nice sound, and then never get bit. Um, so I, I learned I learned a long time ago with a buzz bait. The key to success with the buzz bait is it's just like a jig. There's a lot of people that don't have much luck on a jig, but the people who do have luck on jig or do good on jigs, they put them in their hand and fish them, you know, nonstop. Just keep going with it until you get bites and you start figuring out the intricacies of it. And that's what I have found through the years. Some of the best days I've had on a buzz bait, I've put it in my hand, and I've had five hours of no bites. And then when I figure out, oh, they're on the first lay down on the secondary point, and and then you run to the next pocket and you do it again, and and then by the end of the day you've caught twenty pounds on a buzz bait, and all the blow ups were phenomenal. All right, what is your favorite food? Favorite food. Sushi. Love hmm. sushi. And what's your favorite boat snack? Is it also sushi? No. I've never taken sushi on the boat. I, I don't know if I can trust that. I get so I get so zoned out sometimes, and I don't get to my boat snack or uh, food in my boat till the last minute. So I couldn't, I couldn't imagine uh, having sushi wait on me um, for that long a time. So, no, I normally, uh, for the boat, those uh uncrustables you know the the pre-made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches oh yeah <laughs> that's, a, that's a staple uh me and my co-angler J- uh, jason hinger we every tournament we get for several boxes of them because they, they're quick and easy and taste good no they're a, they're a classic no doubt um do you have any do you have any fishing superstitions i do not i actually um uh, i used to be somewhat superstitious and i used to um wish people good luck and 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 talk about luck as a as a thing and my recent um uh faith and my my giving it all to god and and diving into devotionals and and uh, bible studies and all that uh, a lot of things have been brought to my attention that luck is basically saying it's out of God's hands. It's out of um, it's out of the will of God if you believe in luck. You don't believe God has a hand in your, your faith. So um, I truly give up all my superstitions, and uh, I give it to the Lord every day. And this year, 
I'm so glad I did because it was definitely my best fishing year ever. So. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, let's see. Do you have any fishing weaknesses? Oh, I think every angler does, and if they don't recognize them, then they they need to need to take some true serum, basically. <laughs> um, I would say one of my biggest weaknesses is expansive grass fishing, because if you like places that have just tons and tons of grass, and you're trying to find the needle in the haystack, because I feel that, one, that doesn't suit to my strength. My strength from being a Smith Mountain Lake guy and, and Bugs Island, those places are known for hardcover. Hardcover fishing is something I love to do, and I just feel so dragged down and almost depressed when I have to fish just tons of grass and not even think about hardcover at all because it's non-existing. And that's, that's probably one of my weakest, areas of fishing uh, still good enough for a, a top three at gunnersville so i'm not going to say that's too weak but okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, i i was able to mix in some hard cover so i mean the bridge the bridge definitely made me it i went there long enough to get my sanity back i, I best way to say it <laughs> so uh, i like it um what's your favorite music uh christian okay all day every day and what do you tie for your braid to floral lead or not? I tie the uh, Crazy Alberto, or um, I know it's got a few different names. Uh, 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 I think some people call it the Albright, or you know the the Seven Up, Seven Down. Yeah. Uh, standard. How I, I, I played the whole game. Everybody else did. I went to the FG for a little while, and great knot. Not going to knock it in any way. The only downside to that knot is uh, it's a little bit more difficult to tie, in my opinion. Um, and But strength, it's great strength, very small, cast through the guide's good. And as long as you do it the night before an event, you know, the FG did good for me. But I saw a video where Brandon Polinick, who has won more money than I probably ever could dream of, fishing with a spinning rod in his hand does the, the crazy Alberto or whatever you call it, the seven up, seven down. He does that. And that's what he fishes with. And when I said it's good enough for him, it's definitely good enough for me to go back to it. So I went back to it and I, 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 I can't say enough great things about that knot. I, it's a, it's a really good knot. I do the FG the night before and the Alberto on the water is my, you know, that's basically how I play it. Um, I got you. But I, I like it. Now, do you snell or do you not snell when you're flipping? I do not snell. I use EWG hooks. Whoa. Let's back up to the EWG hooks. Uh, what's the... Um, I, lo I like these questions because I always turn up something. Um, have you tried straight shank and you're just like, I'm done with it? Is there any like flipping or punching situation where you're like hey the uh straight shank is what i need or are you just always ewg even heavy braid heavy grass what's what's the vibe um i know 
so I mean you're you're getting into the context that people swear by snailing and straight shank hooks uh, for flipping purposes. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, like you like you said, it's a heated yeah. debate. It's it's been it's been that way for a long time. But I grew up doing a lot of flipping because Bugs Island Lake gets flooded in the springtime and you do a lot of flipping. And like I said, Briar Creek, I grew up fishing there doing a lot of flipping on standing timber and grass. I mean, I've, I've cut my teeth on a lot of flipping bodies of water and Dale Hollow last year, for example, that was my best finish last year. I finished top 10 at Dale Hollow and that was because the water was five feet high. It was way up in the trees and bushes. And I went flipping the entire event and landed the top 10. Um, and out of all those experiences, you know, you're going you're gonna to revert back to what your success sh- shows you in those experiences. And I've always stuck with um, just an EWG, like a Gamakatsu Superline is a great one. Yep. Um, the owner Jungle Hook is a great one. Just an EWG. Uh, with a standard uh, polymer knot, uh, peg weight, I've, I've caught a lot of fish. And, I mean, my hookup to bite percentage is super high. So it's kind of like if it's not broke, don't fix it, you know. So it's, it's been working for me. I, I don't see any point to go to a snail and, and, and straight shank if, if what I'm using is working. I 100% agree. Um, I think that there's, I'm, I'm big on there is room in fishing to like do some, do the same thing different ways. Um, yeah. Like I have a buddy who's like, yeah, you need to be throwing this rod for a drop shot. And I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure I don't. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's like definitely different ways to do everything. So I'm with you. Yeah. Um, that's not what I do, but I'm with you on it. Uh, yeah. What's the deepest bass that you've caught? Ooh, the deepest bass I've caught, uh, probably 40 feet. I've caught, I've caught several 35 to 45 foot deep, you know, in that, that range on, uh, like, you know, Hopkins spoons, stuff like yep. that, drop shot. Um, but I haven't really ventured much deeper than that. Yeah. I usually like, if I ask a Western guy, they'll be like, 95 feet and everybody else it's you know pretty much around 40 45 like you don't really need to get any deeper than that so yeah exactly um and then do you use mono for anything i i have used mono on a very few occasions like seaguard is one of my sponsors and they make the best fluorocarbon on the planet their cat suit is in my opinion i mean there's, there's none like it it's, it's super soft it's like iron on the outside i mean I throw it in the thickest stuff and it's not gonna be destroyed um so Stigar makes fluorocarbon and braid and for 99 percent of my things i do that's all i need those two will get the job done 99 percent of the time for me but I fished a BFL uh, two weekends ago now at uh, Bugs Island, and I actually went to mono on two of my topwater rods 
And the reason why I did that is because I always throw top water on a braid to a fluorocarbon leader, like a short fluorocarbon leader. If you follow any of the pros, you know, that are catching them on top water nowadays, that's pretty common. You know, oh, yeah. that's getting a, getting a lot more uh, recognition. And it's great. I mean, it, it's great for uh, casting long distances and um, for being able to winch those fish a little bit more. I, I love that setup. But the reason why I went to mono for this one event was because I noticed that, one, I don't know if it was me. I, I, I honestly think it was just me so amped up to – um, catching, I was catching fish offshore around shad balls. You know, they were they were schooling up around shad, and I would notice the fish bust, or I would see them on the board facing sonar around a shad ball. And with the braid, I was getting super excited to cast, and I was like, you know, making a real hard cast, real quick, like gotta get there. I knew that you, you know, you only have that split second to get them. Like when they blow up, you got that split second to get them on the head. Or if you saw them on the four phase sonar, they're not going to be there for long because they're chasing shad. So you've got to land right where they're at. And that, in that excitement, Braid has a tendency that if you're pushing it too hard, if you're if you're doing it really quickly, you're going to cut into your line a little bit and get a little bit of a backlash and probably screw your cast up. If you understand what I'm saying. You're, yep. you're, if you if you push that fool a little too hard right off the bat, you're gonna mess up. And mono is just a little bit more forgiving. You know, it's it's gonna. I noticed several times when I did that push with mono, it would backlash a little bit. Like it would start to like you know, fool. You you started to speed too fast, and it would start to backlash just a little bit. But it would work itself out, and the cast would feather in there. Whereas braid, it wasn't quite as forgiving. So that's the only time that I really feel like I needed mono, and every other time, fluoro and braid is where it goes. Where I go. All right, this is uh, maybe this is a question I'm only going to ask you probably. But so Bugs Island and Kerr are the same thing, right? Yeah, exactly. What determines what you call it? Because I don't know. <laughs> And I've heard it enough, both ways enough that it's like a little confusing to me because everyone just calls Lake Champlain Lake Champlain. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, it's actually John H. Kerr Reservoir is what it actually is. And I think a lot of the North Carolina guys actually don't even call it Kerr. They call it Car. Car Lake. Yep. I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. And. And Bugs Island is a name that's kind of like a nickname that I think a lot of the Virginian people use uh, for it. And, and a few of the tackle shops down there, Bugs Island Bait and Tackle, stuff like that, have picked up the name and used it. Um, I, I just think it's just one of them places that has just had two or three names adopted to it, and it's, it all describes the same thing. So. All right. Well, that's definitely not confusing at all. Uh, that's good. <laughs> hey, at least though it's got two names for one place as opposed to Lake Eufaula, which is in two entirely different states. Uh, and you know, like I don't know if we needed two Eufaulas. 
and I guess there's like a lot of Grand Lakes, you know, but we really only have like tournaments on one of them so we can survive that. But it's probably better to have more uh, multiple names for one lake than, you know, just copy the other lake's names. Yeah, exactly. I, I didn't even know there was uh, Lake Eufaula in Oklahoma and one in Alabama, two separate, totally different lakes. I didn't even know that until this year. Yeah, we're all fixing to learn a lot about uh, the Lake Eufaula in Oklahoma in 2023. Uh, more than yep. we ever did before, for sure. Um, and Ed. Edwin Eber stomping grounds. Well, he'll probably be in that derby then, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I guess, man, other than – I don't really have anything else, but I'm sure – I know you've got some social media, and really it's like your time. So if you want to – if there's any place we should be following you, if there's anything you want to plug, uh, this is the this is the time. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm still pretty new to the whole social media game, so – I would love for everybody to go follow me on. I, I got TikTok, I've got YouTube, I've got uh, Instagram, I've got Twitter, I've got Facebook, I've got it all. And I'm trying to grow all those pages and, and give people stuff that they can enjoy of you know, all different ages and levels and and whatever you know, whatever experience you are with fishing, you know, from pros to uh, total newbies. I, I'm trying to give a little bit of everything for, for everybody. And so go check me out at Derek Hudson Fishing at all of those uh, different forums. Um, but I also, you know, I, I'd like to give a shout out to, we, we talked earlier about making this transition to professional fishing was, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not without its difficulties for sure. And one of the things that is truly helped me make that transition is my sponsors my sponsors have been behind me 100 percent um i've got uh i'm 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 gonna name i'm probably gonna miss some because there's there's so many great companies that are helping me and i've got you know i got a, a ton of them with just to try to mention here and i'm probably not gonna get them all but i'm gonna i'm gonna give it my my best try uh angler's choice Marine is my boat dealer. They have, you know, as we talked about, through boat issues throughout the years, they've always stuck with me and got me right back on the water and, and helped me to to have my equipment right. And I just recently got a new nitro from them, um, and they they helped me right on the the sale of my boat through consignment. Uh, they sold it in a week, which was phenomenal. I, I, I mean, the, the market's not super you know taking off on boats right now but they they did a great job selling my boat and got me into a new nitro and they've been nothing but um a a ton of help and 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 that aspect of my career because we can't do it without a boat i mean that's that's just the the truth of the matter um they also have a great tournament trail angler's choice team tournament trail i got to fish them this year and uh, me and my partner Brandon Pritchett, who's a phenomenal partner. We we've had three second place finishes and a third place finish over there in the team tournament trail. So, uh, uh, aside from the successes on major league fishing side of things, uh, we've been tearing it up on the team tournament trail side too. So that's been pretty fun. Uh, definitely fun to get back into the team tournament trail um, aspect of fishing. It's just a whole different dynamic. Um, 
another sponsor that's been with me from the very beginning is Seaguar Line. Um, I hate to say that I use mono. I really hate to say because they don't make mono. And I had to go to a competitor's brand to get some mono um, for that last event. Uh, but 99% of the uh, time, I all all their line is all I need. Their tattoo is phenomenal. Their SmackDown braid on my spinning gear is phenomenal. Uh, I'm getting ready to go back to Gunnersville for that championship. I'm excited about rigging up some SmackDown on my bait casting gear, 50 and 65 for, for flipping and for hogging. Um, so, yes, yeah, Seaguar has been with me from the beginning, and they make some of the best products. I, I, I truly would use them if they want a sponsor, but so glad to have them in my corner. Um, and then, you know, I've got man, I could be here all day, really. Uh, let me just let me just run through some of the companies that have just 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 to give a shout out. So, Sticks Fishing. Uh, you, you know Travis Moran from uh, FLW host. Travis Moran back in the day, oh, yeah. um, he, he stepped out and he's, he's got his, uh, that rod company six fishing with, uh, Nick, the informative fisherman. They, they, they created six fishing, uh, all you need in six rods, the six pack and phenomenal, phenomenal rods. I cannot say enough great things about their rods. If you go to my social media, you'll see me bragging about them all the time. Cause they are, Obviously, great rods. My my season kind of speaks for how great rods they are. Um, but on top of that, I've got WW Novelty, uh, local uh, tackle store here uh, in Lynchburg, Virginia. Has uh, I, I stop there before every event. They have some of the greatest off the wall fishing tackle. Uh, they have a awesome hunting selection too. But obviously, I, I'm I'm not in hunting anymore. But um, Great tackle store. You need to check them out if you're in the Lynchburg, Virginia area. Uh, Lynchburg Insurance Group is a insurance group that I've had my stuff insured with for 10-plus years. Um, C.J. Haggerty there is uh, uh, one of the reasons why I'm so happy to have them as a sponsor, and not just as a sponsor, but as um, someone – that I have my fishing stuff insured with is because CJ Haggerty's a fisherman. He's been a fisherman since he was a little boy. So he, he gets it. He, he knows what you need to have. He knows how much your tackle's worth and, and how much you need to have it insured for, for, and he just makes sure all that stuff's covered. So the Lynchburg insurance group, give them a call, check them out. If you are in need of insurance um, for anything, house, home, you know, well house, uh, car, boat, they, they do it all. Business, they, they cover everything. And then I, I missile baits. Obviously, I talked about them earlier with Shockwave. Uh, I truly um, missile baits came out this year with the mini swim jig, um, which I used at Chickamauga to capture the AOI. They came out with the um, with the mini D chunk on the back of it. They also came out with the Magic Worm, which is partnered with Robo Worm this year. Um, those two things that have been a staple in my season this year, and they're making some phenomenal products. And they've got more great products coming around the corner. So you need to check them out, Missile Baits. They're going to have some cool stuff coming out in the next two or three years for sure, some baits that are really going to be 
off the chart. So uh, the Chunky D, I, I, that's one that's coming out, supposed to be end of this year, beginning of next year. Um, it's a like a beaver style bait. It's a it's a flipping a good flipping jig trailer, chatterbait trailer uh, bait. They got that coming around the corner. Uh, I I could just keep going, and I know we don't have much time on this podcast, so check out my social media pages, Derek Hudson Fishing. Um, I I give all my sponsors on there shout outs as, as regularly as I can because. I truly have paired up with some phenomenal companies that are putting out great products, but also truly support fishing. And that's, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. I, I know major league fishing does the same thing. They try to, um, they try to affiliate themselves with people that support the fishing industry and the sport that we all love. And that's, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. I like it. Well, uh, Derek, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate the time, and uh, I'll see you at Gunnersville this fall. And then, um, gosh, I guess I don't have the schedule really locked in my head, but I assume Okeechobee sometime in the winter <laughs> um, yeah. for the uh, Invitationals next year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Jody, and I, I appreciate you giving me this opportunity to brag about myself, even though that, that truly is, like, so – not second nature to me i i i know you said that i i i seem to talk pretty good but i really hate talking about myself i'm gonna be honest but i enjoyed it i enjoyed you giving me the opportunity and i truly appreciate it all right well thanks man and uh good luck this weekend thank you buddy appreciate it